Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and uh, uh, God willing, uh, Imam Tahir Khalid will be joining me shortly. Uh, today's show, we're um, spending the whole two hours regard, uh, of the show talking about Bet. So Bet is um, the pledge um, of initiation. Right into the community. So, Bet, the guardian of Muslim identity. So, I mean, to condense it, there are 10 conditions of the pledge. So, we'll be going through each condition of the pledge throughout the show. And in all honesty, it's uh, when, when we kind of like actually uh, expand upon each pledge. Uh, sorry, each condition of the pledge uh, in its entirety. Uh, I think you know you, the listeners, will most probably see that a lot of it is actually commonsensical, uh, and it's there to not only strengthen the bond that one has with uh, you know one's Creator, God Almighty, but also to uh, strengthen the bond within the community and to have uh, one true uh, vision or to follow that one true vision, which is Islam. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about in our full two hours today. And, you know, this is uh, obviously very pertinent uh, to those of us within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community because we've just celebrated uh, our annual convention at Hatikatul uh, uh, Madi, which is uh, located in Alton in Surrey, um, I do believe uh, we actually had we had the convention uh, this year on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and in total, uh, in excess of twenty five thousand. 25,000 members of uh, specifically the UK community uh, were in attendance. So, you know, everyone comes, not just, it's not just London centric, it's the whole of the UK. And we get to come. Um, and it's, it's uh, I suppose, in a sense, uh, very much like uh, that month of Ramadan. It reignites your, your, your faith um, and brings about that whole weekend brings about uh, an increase in your spirituality because there are speeches, there are exhibitions, uh, you get to meet other members of the community and hear about their, uh, you know, whether they are new converts, whether they are uh, stalwarts within the community, you hear about their stories as well. So it's, there lies the community feeling. But um, like I said, the annual com- uh, convention of the community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh took took part this 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 weekend here in the UK now on december the 1st 1888 the promised messiah uh may allah be pleased with him published an announcement that god had ordained him that whomsoever seeks the true faith and piety should take bat uh um like i said bat is the pledge of allegiance to him so that Allah may shower his mercy and beneficence on them. On January the 12th, uh, in 1889, he published a pamphlet in which he laid down 10 conditions of bat uh, for the initiation into the, into the community. Now, in this pamphlet, he made it known that anyone who wishes to enter into the covenant of allegiance should swear on the following from the core of his heart. 
Uh, number one, that till the last day of, of his life, he shall abstain from shirk. Now, shirk is associating any partners with uh, God Almighty, Allah Ta'ala. The unity of God is a very simple but amazingly important concept that helps seal understanding of an almighty creator. Um, and this is shown really in, uh, in a chapter uh, of the Holy Quran, Surah Ikhlas. His Holiness um, Hazrat Mirza Bashruddin Mahmud, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, has explained in his commentary regarding this verse that uh, in the view of the above-mentioned significance of, uh, of God and the expression uh, of this would signify that God is that supreme being who is the source and fountainhead uh, from whom all creation has emanated. He is neither the starting link of any chain nor its last link. So that, you know, within there you have the continuity of God. Nothing is like him, nor is he like anything else. This is Allah as conceived and presented by the Quran. So it says that God, i.e. all things and beings depend upon him, and he is independent and besought of all. All have need of him, and he has uh, need of none. He needed the help of none, of no one, uh, no being, I should say, or material to create the universe. So when all things and beings are dependent on him uh, and to him, we have recourse for these needs, uh, for our needs and requirements, and he fulfills them. Then where is the necessity for any other God? It's quite a simple uh, statement of fact there. So nothing in the universe is complete in itself, nor even the smallest atom. Nothing is self-subsisting. Everything depends on something, uh, some other thing for his existence. God alone is such a being who depends on no being or thing. He is above conception and conjecture. His attributes know no limit or bound. Now, um, the idea uh, of that is that, you know, there is the, I suppose, the entirety of uh, Allah Ta'ala, the God Almighty. Now, you know, the idea of multiple gods, you know, to think that there may be multiple gods would take away from that very meaning of a master and lord. So furthermore, you know, furthermore is nowhere been taught in any religions before. So we see that continuity, even not just in Islam, but in Christianity, uh, in Judaism, uh, all the main faiths uh, in the uh, world, you know, point to the existence of just one and one God only. Uh, and with that, let me just play you this little audio clip, um, you know, saying, you know, is it possible to prove the oneness of God? The fact is that to prove oneness of Allah from the Bible is not at all difficult. That is a different thing. The, the whole, the Bible, the, that is the Old Testament and the New Testament. That is called Bible. Now, the first of, first of all, the Old Testament throughout, right from beginning to the end, does not speak of any God other than Allah or any God beside Him. So the testimony of all the prophets of the Bible are against there being a God other than God Himself or there being any partner. Now, as for the New Testament, 
we uh, challenge them to prove where Trinity has been mentioned in the whole in the Holy Eucharist scriptures. They know if there was to be revealed to mankind the existence of a God other than this God, why it was so late? After all the prophets had passed and the phenomena had finished according to them, they also believe in a sort of Khatmanibuva. They say after, till the, all the prophets came and the prophethood finished at the time of Jesus Christ. Then the a new institution began to take shape and that was appearance of God himself in some form or another. In the first appearance they say it was to be a manifestation of Son of God. In the second coming it would be God, it was to be God himself and they are still waiting for the second coming. So all this has uh, led them to, to difficulties in fact. They believe prophet, all the prophets have passed and what was prophesied by all these prophets who were left in the past. Does, do, all the prophecies put together do not mention even remotely the possibility of there being another God but Allah. So our case is very strong. To break this case, it is up to them to come out with very strong and cogent proof. So those were the uh, uh, dulcet tones of our fourth uh, Khalifa, uh, Mirza Masrur Ahmed. Uh, sorry, Mirza Tahir Ahmed, um, had uh, the, the fourth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, and you know, I've been joined by Imam Tahir Khalid here. So I'm just going to carry on with that. Yeah? Now, it, within the Holy Quran, it says in chapter uh, 25, verse 3, 3 to 4, that he is to whom belongs the kingdom of the heavens and the earth, and he has taken unto himself no son and has no partner in the kingdom, and he has created everything, and he has determined its proper measure. Yet they have taken beside him gods who create nothing but are themselves created and who have no power to harm or benefit themselves, nor have they any power over death or life or resurrection. Now, His Holiness, uh, Mirza Tahir Ahmad, uh, has expanded uh, on this verse by explaining it. Um, and I mean, I mean, just just before we quote what he says, mm -hmm. um, I mean, just if you if you just try to picture what this verse talks about, mm -hmm. you have, uh, I mean, Instantaneously, it comes in your mind all the idols, people yeah. who make hundreds of thousands of idols, mm -hmm. um, people who worship the cross itself, mm -hmm. uh, and feel that that will bring you mm -hmm. or will answer your prayers, really, yeah. or will give you or any uh, effigies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, this is what the, the the verse talks about that they have taken besides God Almighty, who is one, mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of these. You can say effigies and and um, idols, mm -hmm. um, and these are themselves created. They can't create anything mm -hmm. themselves, but these objects themselves are created mm -hmm. uh, and have no power to harm or benefit themselves or anyone else. And the fourth Khalifa, the fourth Caliph, has expounded on this verse, and he explains that Allah is the master and the king; He has no equal or partner. And he is the sole creator of everything in the universe. He has no son or associate. He has determined a measure of everything. 
It is unfortunate that people have set up other gods besides him. Allah says in the passage that their false gods have not only been created, but they themselves are unable to create anything. They have no power over life and death. In the presence of false religions, the unity of God has been revived and re-established. By false religions, I mean those which originally taught unity but gradually deviated away from this. Universal truth and, in and introduced idolatrous beliefs. And leaders of the world loudly proclaim their solutions for world problems. But I say in the name of God that they will never be solved without recognition of the truth of the claims of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the implementation of the teachings of the Holy Quran. Mm. Yeah, resounding words. Uh, and, you know, false gods are created when one fails to actually just recognize the existence of the one true God. Yeah. Uh, and with that, uh, you know, why did people start actually, wh why was there that, that need to worship uh, idols? And we've actually got a clip, uh, a very brief clip, um, Purporting to that. Assalamu alaikum. Waalaikumsalam. I want to tell you, why did the people start worshipping the idols? Because it is to worship something, somebody is in human nature. And because you, you can't live without worshipping. You know, if, even if you don't believe in idols, People start worshipping their heroes, their uh, the human beings, powerful people on earth, practically, not calling them God, yet they bow to them. So that is the, a human urge to worship. So if people are not led to God, then they create their own gods. That is how idol worship comes into being. You understand? Thank you. So that, that was, uh, once again, the uh, fourth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And, uh, you know, in truth, Yatai, when we look at it, you know, and we, we, I started off the program by saying we're going to be going through all the 10 conditions of bed. And, you know, there is a chronological order. It's not just like one, two, three, four, five, but it's, there's, there's that common sense, mm. yeah, going through not just the conditions themselves but actually how you come from one to the other to the other right yeah, yeah. so you know what we heard then is about uh in terms of you know we're talking about the first condition right of bad so uh in that sense you know um i think we've more than uh spoken about the idea of associating other uh, other partners uh, to um, the one God. But, you know, when we talk about, say, for instance, your own ego, right? Mm. You know, we actually slip from truly believing in the unity of God and we naturally look for new false gods and none are more common than our actually our own ego, our self, right? Uh, now, again, His Holiness, uh, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, actually reminds us that the promised Messiah said that if you have full faith in God, you should not seek uh, your needs from anyone 
as God alone possesses all power and provides you with a sustenance. Now, if he chooses uh, to give or take anything away from you, then none of the great powers of the world can do anything about it. No high-level uh, worldly plans or conferences can interfere with the plans of God. It is God only who can help you in times of worldly trials, and when your honor is at stake, it is necessary. However, that your love for him should be exclusive. And, you know, in, in terms of that, uh, if we look at, um, actually, uh, my, my co-host is pointing out, we actually have, uh, to talk more about this, our first uh, guest of the day. Yeah, and, and uh, as we are talking about these conditions of birth and the, the Pledge of Allegiance, which one takes, when they join the the fold of the community, mm-hmm. um, we have with us uh, a new convert, uh, uh, not uh, you can say new, but uh, a convert to mm-hmm. Islam, uh, Ahmadiyat, Melissa Ahmadi, uh, who is the mother of two, a trained RE teacher living in Hampshire. Melissa, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Waalaikum salam, thank you for having me. A pleasure, a pleasure to have you here with us today. Um, can you tell us about your journey into Islam? What make you, what what made you took, uh, um, what made you take the pledge of allegiance? So for me personally, um, Islam Ahmadiyya was introduced to our family through my older sister Jazaba. So when she was at college, um, one of her friends told her that she was an Ahmadi Muslim. So she then beca- became quite curious um, and began to study it because she'd never heard of it before. And um, through this process of studying and um, trying to understand why perhaps the the wider Muslim world were were quite um, had quite strong views against the Ahmadi Muslim community, she began that that sparked that curiosity. So she she looked into it and she actually found that it was everything that she'd already kind of aligned with and believed in herself. So she was naturally very drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And then after a couple of years, then she converted herself. And I was still quite young at the time. I was about I think I was seven when she first converted, so I was quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, so for myself, that's kind of how I was introduced to it, through the example of my older sister. And, um, you know, some of my earliest memories were watching her, going with her to the mosque um, every now and again, and that became more frequent when I was a little bit older. So that was kind of how I was introduced to the community. And mm. and what was the, let's say, the reaction of... Um, your 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 family when your sister converted and then you converted, how did they take it? I think we've and I always mention this to whoever who asks either of us um, how blessed and fortunate we are to have such loving and understanding parents because they were obviously they had questions at first um, and I was quite young to to know what those questions were, but I think from my from mine and my sister's perspective, you know, our parents have been absolutely incredible in. Sort of supporting us and allowing us to to go on this journey and um i think they realized it was necessary for mm-hmm. us both as well um we needed and we wanted it and they they honored and respected that so mm. um by the grace of god we've had quite a unique experience i think because not i don't think many converts can say that they've had such a supportive experience from those around them but alhamdulillah by the grace of god we we truly have because so mm. i mean normally um it's quite negative, isn't it? Uh, initially, yeah. and it takes a lot to kind of break down those, uh, I suppose, preconceptions of the community. So, can you tell us uh, a bit more about your first experience of doing that at uh, Jolsa Solana? 
uh, the annual convention and how you felt and how it impacted upon you. Yeah, so the second time I attended JILSA um, was the time I actually did choose to convert and I was 13 um, years old at the time. Mm -hmm. So I was still relatively young, but I guess, as I've mentioned before, you know, I've been exposed to it from, from quite a young age. So for me, it kind of felt like the normal, natural next step for natural me. Natural progression. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, it didn't seem, um, you know, abnormal. It seemed like when I went to the gel site, it's kind of how I imagine the world should be. You know, mm-hmm. it was a very peaceful environment. I mean, we've we've been lucky. We've just finished our annual convention this um, for this year, which ended this weekend in Hampshire. And, you know, it always brings up those feelings for me of how it was when I first went and when I did take my um, bet, which is the P- Pledge of Allegiance. Hmm. Um, Melissa, this um, obviously we were able, were very fortunate that after three years, we've now been able to take the Pledge of Allegiance uh, with His Holiness um, just just yesterday. Really, what does the Baith renewal mean to you? It's it's very special for me because it it does bring up those feelings of of when I did convert when I was thirteen, and um, this year was nice because. After, after three years, I guess, of um, some restrictions, COVID restrictions, it was kind of as close to normal, you know, as it's been for a while. Um, so that it was very special. And I got to share it with my two children as well, which is a new experience for me because they're quite young. So for me, that was very special. Mm. So, Melissa, I mean, uh, retrospectively, yeah, how would, you know, or how have you or do you think uh, you have changed, would you say, after actually accepting Islam Ahmadiyyat? I think it's been it's been life changing for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I kind of throughout my teenage years, because I, I was thirteen, I kind of grew up, I guess, um, as a as a new convert to Islam Ahmadiyyat, and it has molded me. It shaped me in terms of what I value, you know, and the people that I gravitate towards, and whether they value the same things that I value. Um, my my attachment to um, the caliph has has grown year upon year as I've as I've gotten older and I've sort of read more and understood more about the importance of having that unity in our leader, um, his holiness, Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper. So for for me personally, it's um it's completely changed my life in ways that probably I could I am sure you your show is probably not long enough. But um <laughs> I think for me personally, it's grounded me as well. It's given me sort of that purpose that I think I always sort of needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that pull towards the community and serving my faith mm-hmm. um, has, has given me that purpose. So, yeah, in all aspects, a positive, you know, a positive yeah, kind of like influence. In a, positive, in a positive way, you know, things like I've, I've been really blessed to have the experience this, this weekend even mm-hmm. to share my experiences of, of what it was like to convert um, I was able to do a speech at the annual convention um, this weekend on the ladies' side. Um, and I spoke a lot about how, um, you know, we all go through turbulences, challenges and things mm-hmm. in our lives that, you know, um, we need to seek that divine help. And I think this is where my faith has really taught me that it's only really Allah or God who can provide that that stability and that, that sort of comfort where whenever, whatever we go through, mm. we have prayer to turn to and that's something that the community really emphasizes upon is prayer mm-hmm. so that's that's been really life-changing for me and it's mm-hmm. not something that i had prior to okay. converting 
Mm. Excellent. Well, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon, Melissa. Uh, peace and blessings be upon you. Thanks for uh, joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you. Thank you. for having me. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. 0208 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And in fact, we've got an Insta story uh, regarding this. And we've asked uh, to all you guys out there, all the listeners, you know, what is the most important quality for a Muslim to hold? And uh, already, you know, we've got quite a few answers come through. Uh, obedience, uh, obedience without questions, uh, kindness towards any human being, kindness, having faith in God, taqwa, which is righteousness and obedience and faith in Allah. So these are all, and if you look, I think, uh, the common thread between uh, those replies that we've just had, yeah, they are just hearken uh, to the conditions of Ba'at. Yeah, everything is, is going really in line uh, of of what the the ten conditions of Ba'at really talk about, mm-hmm. and that is to believe in God, have complete faith in Him, mm-hmm. And having complete faith in him means to obey in everything he says. Mm. Uh, and all of his 700 or so commandments in the Holy Quran are, in a way, summarized in these 10 conditions of bed. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and so, again, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's move on to the second condition of bad. Because, you know, the first was shirk or, you know, not to associate any partners with God Almighty. So what's the second condition of bad? So the second condition condition is that, that the, the individual taking the bed... Uh, or pledging allegiance shall keep away from falsehood, fornication, adultery, trespasses of the eye, debauchery, t- dissipation, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief, and rebellion, and that they will not permit themselves to be carried away by passions, however strong they might be. Now, the above words form this, as we mentioned, the second condition, um, and it's a condition prohibiting any person who wishes to enter the fold of, of Ahmadiyyad from falsehood of all forms mm-hmm. um, and there's a saying of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him um, in which he said that whoever has the following four characteristics is a real hypocrite and whoever has one of these characteristics character, uh, characteristics has an element of hypocrisy until he leaves that habit mm-hmm. and these four are when he speaks number one when he speaks he tells a lie meaning that his speak is mingled with falsehood and he utters falsehood. Number two, when he makes a contract, he breaks it. Number three, when he makes a promise, he breaks it. This is also a form of falsehood. And number four, when he argues, he starts using foul language. Again, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has has narrated with regards to this of um, the importance of Refraining from lying, refraining from falsehood, he states that truth guides to virtue and virtue guides to paradise. A person keeps telling the truth till in the sight of God he is named truthful. Lying leads to vice and vice leads to the fire. And a person keeps lying till in the sight of God he is named a liar. Again, another narration where the Holy Prophet narrates that a man came to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings will be upon him, and said, O Prophet of Allah, what are the deeds that lead to paradise? He replied, Speaking the truth, when a servant of God speaks the truth, he becomes an obedient servant. And when he becomes an obedient servant, he becomes a true believer. 
and a true believer finally enters paradise. The man asked again, O Prophet of God, what is the action that leads to hell? The Holy Prophet, on whom be peace, replied, Falsehood. When someone tells a lie, he becomes disobedient, and disobedience is kufr, meaning disbelief. Mm-hmm. And someone who is established on disbelief finally enters hell. Mm. So you can see how clearly and how emphatically Islam has, uh, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has really tried to hit home the importance of refraining from lies, refraining from falsehood, keeping away from anything which is a lie. So much so, I mean, we've mentioned this verse hundreds, hundreds of times in this, in this but, show. Yeah, but what about, say for instance, it's uh, a kind-hearted type of lie, a little white lie, right? A little kind of like just, you know, say for instance, I were to come in, right? I've just changed my hairstyle. And I say, Tahir. And I've got bleach blonde hair or something. Yeah, and it's all curly and looking wicked like that. I like say, you were 30 years younger, huh? Yeah, maybe. And I say, look, you know, what do you reckon to my hairstyle? Yeah, yeah, as a kind-hearted lie, you'd, you'd say, Talib, you look like 30. Where's the harm in that? So you're, that is you really just giving a comment. Mm-hmm. But, and that depends on you, whether you really mean that or not. <laughs> right. Because So if I'm <laughs> frank with you... Okay. It, uh, and, so and what honestly, the hell have you done to your hair? Like, what, what are you doing, mate? Look, <laughs> you need to go back and get, <laughs> get that your money out. <laughs> Yeah, get get that fixed. But I mean, see, there's there's you, you can't be like, okay, this is the line, or this is the limit of how much we want to lie, mm-hmm. or how much I want to just make a joke in the form of a lie, mm-hmm. even if it's a white lie. There's there's no line. Mm-hmm. A lie is a lie. Mm-hmm. There's no. Like let's say a polite kind of joking type of lie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at the end of the day, falsehood is falsehood. Mm-hmm. Islam has has very openly said that um, lying is um, is the mother of sins. Mm. With one lie, it leads you to to saying another lie and mm-hmm. another lie and another lie. How many white lies can you say? Mm-hmm. It will end up being true, big, big lies, mm. um, and. Um, it's 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 so much. Uh, I was mentioning that the verse that we've spoken about on this verse a number of times, where the where the Holy Quran says that um, you should always speak the truth, mm-hmm. be just, mm. and justice, of course, is an element of being true, mm. even if you have to go against yourself. Exactly. Even if you have to go against your loved ones, your parents, your your children. Yeah, you have to bear witness against them. And um, you, we, ha- which brings us very nicely onto our next audio clip. You know, how can you know? How can anyone know the truth when they actually hear it? Yeah. You see, this question can be answered in different ways. But first of all, I would uh, draw your attention to the introspective method. Everyone is created with truth, according to the claim of the Holy Quran, as well as I understand, the same claim is shared by every other religion. Uh, Barring the opinion of St. Paul, that every boy is born sinful, and if you go to Old Testament and study it in depth, you will find that this is not right. According to the Old Testament as well, and according to the teachings of Jesus as well, 
no body would bear the cross of the other. So none should be born sinful, otherwise he'll be bearing the cross of his forefathers. So that is, let me clarify it first. So everyone is born with truth. Every child is innocent. And as such, later on, his upbringing makes different things out of him. That is why the responsibility of the older generation, as he <laughs> mentioned, I answered to him, it begins with your own responsibility within yourself. But coming to your question, that means that we have been born with a, an inbuilt criteria, criterion, or let not criterion, but touchstone of truth, which may be soiled, may be dusted, but it's always there for us to reach and find the answers. So if anyone keeps his inborn truth intact, the question you have raised would be easily answered with reference to your inner self, what you believe should be right and what you believe should be wrong. And when I say that, I mean universally, what man believes should be right and man believes should be wrong. That is basic truth. For instance, when you tell lies in any country of the world, even in communist countries, everyone knows lies are bad. <laughs> when you usurp other people's rights, whether the law exists or not, whether it's abolished or not abolished, the committer of sin knows himself that this is wrong. So, there's an inbuilt law which cannot be done away with. <coughs> and the law from on high, given to man from high, on high, that is from, from, from God, must perfectly coincide with the law within. Now, whether the outer truth is right or wrong, first of all can be judged with reference to your inner law. Born. If a teaching, for instance, a teaching is on, uh, you know, to be examined and, and, and adjudged. Now, delve deeper into your own self, contemplate and think. Is it really universal? Can it apply to all people together? Does it not violate any sense of justice with which I am born? If you apply the truth to be examined to this inner uh, inbuilt phenomenon of judgment, uh, judging right from the wrong, the answer should always be right. In the English idiom, to be able to call a spade a spade is an oversimplified <coughs> statement of the same thing which I am just discussing. Every man who has this quality, to call a spade a spade, is fortunate to have preserved his inner truth. But very few people are there in the world who can call a spade a spade. This is the problem. 
an oversimplified statement, but extremely difficult when it comes to application in everyday human experiences. So, be true to your own truth, and the judgment of the outer truth would become an easy thing. If man is distorted within, then it's impossible for him to be able to judge whatever he hears, whatever he sees. So this is the first condition laid by the Holy Quran for making someone entitled to be guided by the Quran. It's an amazing statement right in the beginning of Surah Bakradas. You know the, the first chapter is called Surah Fatiha. This is only of seven verses. But in all, for all practical purposes, Surah Fatiha is not the first chapter because it is a gist of what is to come, the whole Quran. Introduction. It's like, uh, the first chapter in reality after this is Surah Al-Baqarah, which says, Zalik al-Kitabu la raiba fihe hudallil muttaqeen. This is that book which was promised. There is no doubt whatsoever in it. No doubt in the claim that this is the book which had been promised earlier by two prophets. No doubt in it itself. Yet, it will guide only those who are righteous within. You seek guidance for the sake of righteousness. <laughs> but here is a precondition laid which seems to be <laughs> an inherent contradiction. You want to be righteous, that is why you seek guidance. And the first declaration is, you have to be righteous before you begin to seek guidance. A chicken and egg. <laughs> but it is not. Because here the righteousness means the simplest meaning of truth, not the advanced qualities of truth. Because righteousness begins with the very simple elementary concept of truth to a higher and more complex stage where there is no end to it, in fact. Righteousness will always remain relative in relation to the more perfect or the perfect models which we call as, uh, which, we can, uh, which we entitle as prophets or messengers of Allah. And uh, similarly, the whole life can be explained in this regard that truth is a very powerful thing. Truth is only truth when it has the quality of shaping your life and subjecting yourself to what you believe. So in this way, the judgment of truth is not difficult, but this way is difficult. To be able to, to reach that stage is difficult because you have to continuously purify yourself and prepare yourself, you prepare yourself to offer sacrifices for things which you think are good for you or for mankind. And that is why the people of the Prophets, the time of the Prophets, they go through this build of persecution and suffer it bravely with heads, heads held high, because they know this is true, not the others. Allah, Allah.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show, Monday's Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Tahir Khalid. So um, that was an uh, audio regarding, you know, how can one know the truth when they hear it? Now, the promised Messiah, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, uh, goes on to say, on the various forms of discarding evil, the second is the virtue known as honesty and integrity, which is the indisposition to harm anyone by taking possession of his property mischievously and dishonestly. Now, it should be clear that honesty and integrity constitute a natural human condition. This is why an infant, which is by nature simple and naive, and because of young age, has not yet acquired any bad habits, dislikes what belongs to others, so much so that it is with great difficulty that he allows a strange woman to breastfeed him. Uh, and this is from the philosophies of the teachings of Islam. Now, honesty in, in, in Islam uh, implies telling the truth in all situations and under all circumstances, uh, fulfilling the promises, whether written or given verbally in text and spirit, uh, giving a fu- an honest opinion and the right advice to the one who asks for it. Uh, doing one's work as sincerely and flawlessly as possible, carrying out the duties as fully and completely as possible, whether the person under supervision or not. And finally, giving every person his due and deserved rights without his asking for these rights. Now, just briefly, and you know, this this is, I suppose, Tahir, about that... Uh, when I've like, said, you know, these, these conditions are bad, and this is only the second condition of bad, but they're, they're just really, I suppose, to any person, if they read them first off, yeah, uh, you know, they're very common sense, yeah. right? And they form the basis of a humane and integrated society. Yeah. I mean, these, the, this, the, the problem that we're facing in, in this day and age is how much lying or falsehood really um and that falsehood i mean there's 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 a very you can say there's a very thin line mm-hmm. because it's not just you sometimes physically telling a lie with your tongue mm. it's showing off things which are which not really yours mm-hmm. which is a form of a lie so for instance, if I were to take a selfie of myself sat on a, I don't know, Lamborghini, whatever, really, and then put it out there, yeah, people are like, oh, look, Talib's got a new ride, yeah. So that's, and if you're doing that, falsehood. and if you're doing that, like every week or so, you got friends. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? It's, 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 yeah, it's you thinking that you you're deceiving others. Mm. Deceit mm-hmm. is a form of lie, mm-hmm. um, and so this. We're we're living in in this kind of in this age, this day and age, where this kind of deceit is quite common, mm. where people really just show off, go above mm. and beyond, and show off, and and this is a form of lying as well, which mm. is you, you're you're trying to have things or, tr- or show show things which 
aren't really yours. Mm. Um, Just for the ostentatious exactly. value and, of it. And right? and with that, you have people who admire it, who mm-hmm. who don't really realize that this person's just just a show mm. um i mean if you extrapolate that uh, and, and this is you know hypothetical right but if you were to extrapolate that then you would say or uh, this this example let's say right mm. um and you were to see this person and they you know, have the accoutrements of wealth constantly and then say for instance you know you, you actually think oh well, that guy or woman or whoever right oh they must be quite well to do yeah mm. and then you weren't to enter you know then you semi believe that actually whatever they do uh, whether you enter a contract with them must be okay right yeah but then you turn out that it's mm. not exactly um and that's why there's these forms of lying which the holy prophet peace and blessings peace and blessings Allah be upon him spoke about uh, and it's it's I mean it's when you speak you tell a lie mm-hmm. when you make a contract you break it when you make a promise you break it and when you argue you start using foul language mm. it's very thin this this last one when you argue you start using foul language mm. it's very it's very it's a very sensitive one mm-hmm. because the more you start using foul language the more your your you become in a way desensitized to it mm. the more you become prone to it and you and you think of it and it becomes your second nature well, uh, I think of it in the case of like you you become more bestial. Yeah. Right? It does. You it, hearken to your more animalistic uh you know qualities, it, right? In a way it blackens rage, your heart. Yeah, yeah, rage and anger just dissipate well, not dissipate. They they take away from the truth. It clouds anything, your yeah. judgment. Exactly. Yeah. And with that, you start saying things well, exactly. Which you don't mean. I mean, we all know, right? You know, and we've all had uh, arguments, yeah. Uh, and you you realize after that argument, if if you say for instance it gets heated, yeah, you know, and you look back on the argument, you, you just you say things to hurt people, right? Yeah. And it's it's totally unnecessary. But to speak more about uh, bad, we are actually joined by uh, our next guest of the afternoon, Anas uh, Mahmood. Uh, now Anas is a six year student at Jamia Ahmadiyya UK, where he is studying to become an imam for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Nas. Uh, thank you for joining us today on the Drive Time Show. Welcome, Assalamualaikum. for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Yeah. Uh, not in not in person, but in spirit, eh? in voice. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. we're talking about uh, bait and the conditions of bait. Now, how yeah. do you explain to people Allah is uh, first and last? I mean, what does that mean? Yeah, so basically, um, who will, uh, uh, so the, this is basically taken from a verse of the Holy Quran mm-hmm. in uh, Surah Al-Hadid, uh, cha- um, verse number four. And it says that Allah is the first and the last. And if you think about it, Allah is the first and the last. It, it highlights the, um, uh, it's got like a proof of the existence of God uh, within it. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, like everything has a cause, right? So if I, um, you know, pluck, a, pluck an apple from a tree, um, yeah, that's me. The the cause of me uh, plucking that apple from the tree was, you know, uh, the tree actually being there. And what was the cause of the tree? The seeds. So like, and who, what was the cause of the seeds being there? The farmer planted the seeds and so on and so on and so on. If you like, you know, uh, look at everything and it just go to the origin cause, original cause of something, um, then... Yeah, actually, you, you reach the cause, the first cause, mm-hmm. which is basically the uncaused cause, and that can only be God. Mm-hmm. 
So this is actually such a like a beautiful way of uh, of explaining the existence of God in Surah Al-Hadid, where God says, "I am the first. and when God says, "I am the last as well, that that shows that everything is subject to death and destruction, and God Almighty is free from all of that, since God has created everything. God is uh, God Almighty is above the limits of space and time, and you know, in fact, this uh, this concept of like you know uh, God being the first cause of everything, this was uh, it came out like um, it gained traction in the 13th century uh, when you know the Renaissance was happening, and like this scholar Thomas Aquinas, he was an Italian philosopher, mm-hmm. he actually proposed this cause, but you know, and many people today think that he actually uh, you know he founded this cause and he gave it traction when in fact we know from the like this. A small phrase of the Holy Quran that this actually idea has been presented this argument for the existence of God has been presented you know many many centuries before that mm-hmm. so. and I mean we're going to move on to our third condition of bed the third condition yes. is Salat um, mm. and the condition says that they shall regularly offer the five daily prayers in accordance with the commandments of God and the Holy Prophet peace be upon him and that they will try their best to be regular in offering the pre-dawn supererogatory prayers uh, and invoking the Lord on the Holy Prophet peace be upon him and that they will make it their routine to ask forgiveness for their sins and to remember the bounties of God and to praise and glorify him basically talking about full-on worship right yeah, yeah. but God Almighty has made it clear that he does not need our worship as he is self-sufficient and omnipotent yeah so why has he created man to to worship him why are these conditions saying that we should worship him so you said yeah you said yourself that the god uh, almighty is omnipotent and uh, you know free from any other uh, you know uh, any anyone else's input so and so this actually also means that god almighty who has created us who has you know fashioned us who has uh, made everything for us given us every type of provision he he is also you know in charge of our fate our fate in the end our ultimate end and uh, so it is um, uh, and because god is almighty has you know given us uh, so much and like provided for us it is innate human and uh, reaction like nature to actually you know thank Allah for it, and uh, thanking Allah it requires our prayer. Like if you take away you know uh, take away all the divine aspect from it, if you like if two people are together, person A and person B, if person A gives person B something without him asking for it, it is you know innate human nature to for person B to thank person A. In a similar way, God Almighty has given us so much. Um, of course, he doesn't need anything back, but it's like it's definitely uh, it's a requirement for us to actually, you know, thank Allah Taala for it, uh, to thank God Almighty for it, and praise Him and pray to Him so that He makes uh, you know our ending, um, you know, for for us, good for us, mm. and and it's also true that no human can follow up on the on their promises like God does. Mm. We. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a misconception that you know, uh, God Almighty needs our prayers. But you're, you're you're right when you said that God Almighty doesn't need us. What in fact humans need is God, and he like and humanity is uh, when humanity forgets the God and they don't fulfill God's rights, then they fall into despair. So it is incumbent on on humanity to actually recognize God and pray to Him, mm-hmm. so that they like you know they can uh, they can uh, the ending the ultimate end can be of a positive kind mm. but and us yeah so you know in that case yeah if if our prayer is almost um what's the word genetic right it's preordained mm. within us right to do it yeah. uh so how can we ensure 
that connection with God Almighty in our prayer, because that's the methodology of us talking to God uh, yeah. is through prayer, right? So yeah, how can we yeah. ensure that you know our prayers aren't just an empty action? Do you see what I mean? It's like a reflex. Like yeah. breathing is a reflex. We don't need to. Yeah. We need we don't need to think about breathing. So yeah. yeah, in a sense, like your explanation of why we pray, it's a natural reaction. It's an innate reaction, almost reflex. Yeah. Then how can we ensure that you know the prayers that we actually uh, give to uh, God Almighty and yeah. thanks have meaning? Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good question. And, you know, I quite like the example that you gave of breathing. Mm. Yeah, we breathe, but we don't feel our breathing. Even when we're sleeping, we're breathing, but we don't feel Thank it. Without, we do it subconsciously. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but if you if you try to hold your breath, like you're not going to... Uh, uh, like it's always uh, always happens that uh, a person who holds their breath they don't uh, they don't die of it they, they immediately what happens is they suddenly they start gasping for air they they need that oxygen within them it's human nature it's a, uh, like a physical thing mm-hmm. it's biologically innate that they start breathing again it's something that they uh, human the human body needs but as you said it doesn't really you know recognize it doesn't give it any thought we just do it subconsciously and with prayer, we need prayer, and so much happens through prayer that uh, humanity doesn't uh, really recognize it. So if if a person prays five times daily, and if they don't, you know, if uh, if, if they feel like they're not, you know, they're not feeling the prayer, they it, in fact they uh, they're just not recognizing everything that's happening in front of them. That is, uh, you know, that God is giving them. Prayer is something that needs to be. It needs to be felt. It needs to, uh, like it needs effort to be put in it, and then uh, and patience as well. And uh, patience will uh, will allow man to see, um, you know, the virtue, the fruit of of his prayer. There's an example in the history of Islam actually when um, uh, Hazrat Abu Bakr, uh, the first caliph of Islam, he um, he asked the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that O oh, Prophet, I've prayed to God, and um, I don't. I used to feel you know, really passionate about it, but now I don't feel the same anymore. I feel like a hypocrite. And the Holy Prophet, peace be peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said that it is not, that if you saw feeling is natural, it is it is not the place of a believer, of a mu'min, he's, he used the word mu'min, which means believer, mm-hmm. to stay in one place. The, word, the, the action of a believer should be such that he does not stay in one place. He should always, like, strive for greatness. And so, you know, if if one if a person prays, and he, you know he feels uh, you know, he feels a connection with God Almighty, he feels it within him, then he should protect it, he should nurture it, and he should grow it, and he should you know strive to make it greater and you know uh, advance on it rather than just keeping it. Otherwise, it will become stagnant. Mm. Uh, I mean, we're just coming up to the five o'clock news, so we only got a couple of minutes. So just uh, you know, briefly. Yeah, Allah says that he does not burden any soul beyond its capacity. Now, if this is the case, then why do some people fail uh, when they're being, tri- you know, when they face these trials? You know, th- this is a statement by God Almighty that, you know, is supposed to, uh, you know, uh, showcase God Almighty's, uh, uh, you know, uh, mercy towards people. When people are afflicted through trials in life, they, you know, they usually say they stop, they might blame God or they might, you know, stop, start looking for uh, someone to blame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, usually they start blaming God for unfortunate reasons. But God Almighty is, in fact, is in fact showing, highlighting for, for humanity their, uh, their strength in this. Well, how can human beings be, how much strength a human being has? 
So if a person is going through a trial and then they might think, no, that like I don't have the strength to do this, mm-hmm. they God Almighty is telling them in in this uh, through this uh, way that Allah the Almighty does not uh, burden a soul beyond this capacity. So what Allah the Almighty is uh, the trial that Allah the Almighty is putting you through. The human being has the power within them mm-hmm. to to do, to follow follow up and you know finish that trial and mm-hmm. you know accomplish it with great fruit at the end. Mm. Even though it, sometimes it feels that you know you, the end is not nigh and you can't see the end, but yeah. uh, no, thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Anes. Likewise, uh, likewise. Yeah, thank you for joining us this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Exactly, it's been, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> okay, thank you. Have a good day. O two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. I mean, we're coming up to the uh, five o'clock news. Join us after when we will be continuing to look at the different conditions of bad. I think we've gone to number three now. Uh, so we're going to have to pick up the pace. We've got seven to do in the next hour. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome back to the Drive Time, Monday's Drive Time show. Uh, you're live here with myself, Taliban, and Imam Tahir Khalid. So we uh, just a bit of correction. I, I I thought we were going to do all ten conditions, so it was going to be a bit of a condensed program. But actually, we can take a breath, and in fact, actually, it's in, in line with uh, what the last question for our previous guest, Anas. Uh, God does not burden the soul more than they can bear its capacity so yes five conditions of bat we is will be doing it's <laughs> our capacity for today well said uh yes well said uh, co-host so we were doing condition three and uh regarding that so but in in terms of um swearing and actually taking an oath right mm. uh regarding oaths in court uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, said that if someone swears a false oath near his pulpit of mine, near this pulpit of mine, he will take his seat in the fire. Uh, and again, he said in another narration, uh, "Shall I inform you about the greatest of major sins? Uh, they are three: to associate partners with Allah, to disobey your, to disobey your parents, and to bear false witness, or he said to speak falsely." And furthermore, the Holy Quran corroborates the essence of these statements uh, in chapter 3, verses 77 to 78. Nay, but whoso fills his pledge and fears God, verily, Allah loves the God-fearing. And as, as for those who take a paltry price in exchange for their covenant with Allah and their oaths, they shall have no portion in the life to come. And Allah will neither speak to them nor look upon them on the day of resurrection nor will he purify them and for them shall he be a grievous punishment mm. so this again talking about the importance of fulfilling your oaths your pledges which is on in the second condition mm-hmm. of the pledge of allegiance and, and the importance of always speaking the truth and and no matter what um, even from this this last verse as well, no matter how much money you're given as well as a bribe, you can mm-hmm. say you always stick to the truth. Mm. Now, coming to the third condition of bed, <clears throat> we spoke, we mentioned it during the call uh, with Anas, the 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 importance of prayer and worship, uh, ma- namely salat in Arabic. And um, 
As stated by the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, worship is the fundamental part of every religion. It is the way to connect to God and to praise Him. Now, mere recitation of God's praise by the tongue, therefore, is not sufficient. The purpose of worshipping God is to evoke His help and guidance and in leading a, pur- a purposeful life in this in this world and to acquire His attributes to 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 in a way color yourself in the colors of God mm-hmm. paint yourself in the colors of God now when we we praise a thing we wish to acquire it and appreciate its attributes praising God is appreciating his attributes and awakening a desire to acquire them prayer is the second pillar of Islam and the third condition of bed and anyone willing to enter the Ahmadi Muslim community must take this oath of allegiance and must try their best to follow the ten conditions now, what is prayer and how can we establish it? Answering this question, the fifth caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, His Holiness, Hazrat Mizam Surah Ahmed, may Allah always be his helper, stated that Salat is a prayer that is offered with extreme intensity. While supplicating during Salat, do not bind yourselves to the Arabic language, but offer humble prayers in your own words so, so that it has an impact on your heart. And with that, we just have a very short clip um, where the question was asked, why do we first learn our prayer in Arabic and not in English? Because Arabic is the is the form of prayer which uh, in which the holy founder of Islam performed it. It is the original. Because Arabic, the Quran was revealed in Arabic. Because the message revealed to us by God was in Arabic. And you know, in translation, the original meaning is always uh, uh, not uh, entirely and properly conveyed. Part of it is missed, and part of it is also likely to be distorted. So it is always safe to remember the prayer in the original words, otherwise from translation after translation after translation, we may start to deviate from the original message into something completely new. That tragedy has happened to the Bible itself, because from early translations it was retranslated and retranslated, and now the scholars are discovering that they have made many mistakes in that historical process. So to preserve the original language is highly important for the preservation of message. Understand? Yeah. So those were the words of the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, Mizra Tahir Ahmad. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. And, um, you know, th- that is why we learn uh, the prayer first. But also, you know, the words of the fifth caliph, uh, Mizra Masrur uh, Ahmad. The importance of not just, I suppose, um, because if Arabic isn't, I mean, Tahir, your mother tongue, mm. The and from my understanding of Arabic, you know, just the pronunciation may take you, or may actually change the word completely. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you know, for for us actually non-Arabic speakers, um, I you know I hold my hands up. Yeah, it's I think more imperative that I actually understand what I'm saying to God. Mm. So it should be in your mother tongue as well. But I understand also the etiquette of. Yeah. yeah, and in the correct pronunciation, like you said, because if you just pronounce it in a wrong way, it completely changes the meaning. For mm. example, you say, um, 
I mean, this is an example which um, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, became peace be upon him, gave, um, and that was when a person um, came to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and and said, "Assalamu alaikum." Uh, and assalamu alaikum mm. is is uh, in a way was was a, a, a curse to the holy prophet. A person, this person gave this this opponent of Islam, mm-hmm. um, and the holy prophet didn't reply to it. He didn't reply in the same way, but he just said wa alaikum and upon you. And um, this it shows that if you were to say instead of assalamu, mm-hmm. it means peace be upon you. Mm-hmm. But asamo would be that uh, a curse be upon you. Uh, similarly, mm-hmm. you have jazakumullah. Mm-hmm. When you say jazakumullah, it means may Allah reward you. Mm-hmm. But when you say jazakumullah, when you put emphasis on the on the z mm-hmm. or the or the zal, it means may Allah cut you. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so that means so that you have yeah, to be so very yeah, delicate very, and very um, aware mm-hmm. of how you're pronouncing the words. Yeah, because in a lot of in, in you know Chinese is exactly the same. Just depending on your intonation on a certain word, how you pronounce it, Completely it, it means totally. Uh, yeah, that word totally changes. Yeah. But uh, moving on, uh, as regards to the third condition, salat. So prayer must be offered uh, at the appointed times and with full focus. Now the uh, founder, the promised Messiah, uh, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him, uh, reminded uh, the community that Salat is for praying indeed. And one should pray at every stage. But if one offers the Salat as if he were asleep and does not know the nature and importance of Salat, uh, then it is not Salat at all. Therefore, it is required that man should not be lazy in offering the Salat, nor should he be inattentive. Now, the Promised Messiah peace be upon him, uh, further added that prayer is a wonderful thing. It is a pity that those who pray are not aware of the true manner of prayer, nor are they acquainted with the ways of the acceptance of prayer. The truth is that the very reality of prayer has become strange. They are so, uh, There are some who deny the effectiveness of prayer altogether. There are others who do not deny it, but as their prayers are not accepted on the account of their lack of knowledge of the manner of prayer and are not pre- and are not prayers in the true sense, their condition is worse than those uh, who deny the effectiveness of prayer. Their practical condition has pushed many others to the verge of atheism. The first condition of prayer is that a supplicant should not get tired and become a, a become a prey to despair that nothing will happen. Now, many ask, uh, many uh, may ask that Salat is meant to save one from evil deeds, but we see Muslims who are regular in Salat but still perform bad deeds. Well, that is because although they offer Salat, they do not do so in spirit and with truthfulness. They only go through the motion as a ritual and perform it as a force of habit. Salat which removes immorality is that which has the spirit of truthfulness and has an effect of uh, beneficence in it. Such Salat most certainly removes badness and in those words of the promised Messiah, may Allah be pleased with him. Uh, as I've recited them and quoted them, yeah, 
you think actually Ty, that there are occasions when you know sometimes you know when you get up for fajr yeah, you're tired right mm. and you're not in and because you are you 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 do know your 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 salat in your in your heart right and you're reciting it and yeah i'll hold my hand up yeah sometimes when you recite it you're just reciting it by rote and you're not really in i think uh our previous caller and i said you're not into your prayer not focusing on the words yeah you're not really focusing on the meaning of that as uh so does allah although he, you know he hears that prayer but there is no and i think the promised messiah's point here was the manner that you pray in right mm. that you really have to kind of just be on it 100 percent, mm. no matter what yeah and i mean there's that as well where you're not really focusing on the words but then there's also times when you're distracted when you get distracted during prayer mm-hmm. um, and your mind wanders off to many different places um, and the guidance like this when you're not really concentrating when you're not focusing when you're distracted is to continue to repeat the words ihtina salat al-mustaqim guide us mm-hmm. on the right path um, and to to come back to your prayer to keep on establishing prayer keep on to start again to mm-hmm. keep on trying keep on trying and slowly and steadily when you keep on trying keep on practicing keep on reciting the prayers reciting surah fatiha for example the first chapter again and again then it makes you concentrate really mm. so that's why it gets you in that frame of mind exactly yeah um, and that that frame of mind is necessary for you to really understand what you're saying so that because it's, namaz salat is not just movements and actions mm. it's your communion with god mm. um and if you're not in a, a, the if your state of mind is not such where you're understanding what you're saying then you've just it's like you've you've wasted that time you've come to the king you've and you've forgotten mm. to ask or to tell your king about your problems and your mm. worries and the good things that are going on in your life or mm. the bad the problems that you're having and you just said hello and left <laughs> okay so with that um you know there the, there are questions there. you know can you speak to god as if he were your friend right or as uh, another person once you've made that link so we've got an audio clip explaining that is it permissible for one to communicate with god by speaking to him as one would to a personal friend at the same time paying due obeisance to him and if so how should one address god in this situation this is uh, not only permissible this is uh, most welcome this is encouraged you can't uh, cultivate a personal relationship with allah unless you begin to speak to him and address him informally and there the best uh, advice that can be given to you is that be informal about it be natural whatever you you uh, think you would like if you were addressed like this whatever you think you would respond to with love you try to behave like that to allah this has been beautifully depicted this attitude has been beautifully defect, depicted in the story told about Hazrat Moses and the shepherd. You have heard it, I suppose? Uh, no, I have not. No, no, all right, then I'll repeat it. 
The fact is that, I mean, the story tells us that uh, once Hazrat Musa was uh, making a journey somewhere, when he passed by a shepherd who was sitting, um, you know, killing mice, ah, lice, killing lice from his clothes. You know, he was doing it like this, you know, people do it. So, and also he was talking. So Hazrat Musa heard there was no man to be, to be addressed. So he got uh, inquisitive and he heard what he was saying. So he was addressing Allah and saying that, Oh my Lord, if ever you come to me, I'll wash your clothes and kill all the lices which I find in them. <laughs> I'll take out your phones and I'll give you milk and do this, do this and do that to you. Hazrat Musa became very angry. And he shouted him down. He said, Who are you to address Allah like this? He doesn't stand in need of you, your help and he has no license like you have. So God shouted him down in, in turn and said, Moses, who were you to stand between me and my servant? I was enjoying his talk so thoroughly that you have destroyed the whole fun. So this is why Ahadrasallam tells us, Ana in the Abdibi, I'm like the imagination of a person which he has about myself. However he considers me and treats me, I become like that to him. And it has to be that way and no other way, because Allah is unlimited. He can only fill our wear, our, our utensils, whatever we hold. And beyond that it is not our capacity. So Ana in the Zanne Abdi B is one of the deepest sayings which can be extended to so many situations and yet not exhausted. So in this respect this is the advice given to you. If you treat Allah with extreme love in your own way, Allah would begin to treat you like that. But don't be artificial about it. Be natural. That is the only advice. So, once again, those were the words of the fourth Khalifa, uh, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, regarding you know, how one should, or the etiquettes, let's say, the etiquettes of prayer. It's not just understanding the words, it's how. To convey those words, you know, uh, in your prayer, in your salat. Now, you know, there's also another part of uh, the third condition of bet uh, salat. But before we go into that, we've got our third guest of the day. So we're joined by Kutsia uh, uh, Ward, who is a retired teacher and actually has been a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community for over 50 years. Peace and blessings be upon you, uh, Kutsia. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show this afternoon. You're welcome, and thank you very much for allowing me to speak. So we're talking about uh, conditions one to five of bet, of uh, initiation and pledge. Now, would you tell us about your personal journey into Islam and what made you, uh, what actually eventually made you take the pledge? Uh, well, I was introduced to um, Islam, the Ahmadiyya interpretation of Islam, the Ahmadiyya um, concept of Islam, 
when I was a young lady, a young woman who had just begun my teaching career. Mm-hmm. And one of the fellow teachers in the schools near where I was teaching was mm. a member of the Jamaat, and they introduced the idea of uh, Islam in another way than I'd known before. Now, I had been a student of religious studies at school and at college, but that which I'd understood about Islam was without understanding the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. And when you speak to Ahmadis, I think that's what you understand about Islam that is not so clear when you read it in books or you see it from it otherwise. And that is the spirit behind the teachings of Islam. And as you've just been talking about, the love for God, which can be expressed through um, following and obeying his guidance. Um, so when I understood Islam, as taught by uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be on him, then I sort of said, well, this all makes sense to me. I accept mm-hmm. it. I, I prayed to God to say, to say to God that, you know, it looks good to me, it sounds good to me, but you have to, you're God, you know everything, you have to guide me to understand if this is true. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe that I did receive that guidance and confirmation that Ahmadiyat interpretation of Islam is true. And so I then inquired, what 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 do I do now? You know, what, what mm-hmm. happens next? And then I was told that, you know, you become a member of the Jamaat, and I was introduced to the idea of what it meant to be a ju- member of the Jamaat. But really understanding that takes a long time. It's not something you understand on day one. Mm-hmm. And so... It's like a process, isn't it? Yes, it's a very long process. It's not, I mean, even as I often say to people, Islam itself was revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be on him, over a period of many years. It wasn't Mm. that it was all given to him in one day, and then the next day he followed every iota of the guidance. And that's true with a convert, it's true with a child. You're introduced part by part, bit by bit, until you have grasped it all, Mm -hmm. if you ever do. And I think that's what the process is, and this is why JALSA is so important, because it reminds you and revitalizes those things and stimulates new thoughts in your mind. Um, And, you know, taking part in the international buyout at the JALSA is is a very moving experience, because you renew those um, bonds that you created in this first place, but with greater understanding every year. Mm. So, ultimately, you could see, you know, that thing that made you actually take bat was the 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 feeling that actually uh, that God had come to you, whether it was in, in some kind of personal revelation that this is the, the 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 promised way, this is the correct way. Yes, I. I have to say that I always had a strong belief in God. I was Mm -hmm. a practicing Christian before, and I always believed in God. But it was a question of, is Islam the right way to develop a relationship with God? And the the writings and the books which I read were so reasonable and so logical to me. And they also gave me a greater understanding. I always think that they gave me a greater understanding of the role of Jesus Christ mm. and of his place and purpose in the scheme of things. And all of that was rational and, and acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so it was only the last step of committing yourself emotionally and spiritually 
which I needed confirmation of and which I got. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to say, I've never lost that. Mm. So, you know, for, for our listeners out there, can you tell us about your first experience of doing bad? You know, uh, you know, because you're 50 plus years into the community, right? So, you know, what was your first experience of doing bad at, uh, you know, the annual convention, the JOLSA? and how you felt and how it impacted upon you? Well, when I took Bayat in the first place, it was a long time ago, and and there wasn't the Gelsas in the form they are now. Mm -hmm. We didn't have MTA or Voice of Islam radio. So communication was very different between members of the Jamaat in those days. So when I took Bayat, I took Bayat by signing a piece of paper in my own home Mm -hmm. with the person who'd introduced us to Islam. There was no formality beyond that. And I think it didn't have the same emotional meaning at that point as it came to have later. When Hazor came to this country and the scheme of doing the international bayat at the Jelsa Mm -hmm. was established, it was then I really got a grasp and a meaning of what the bayat is. Mm-hmm. And also the book, The Ten Conditions of Vyat. Um, I have to say in the beginning, that wasn't something I was very aware of. But that is something I'm very aware of now. And it's fundamental when people begin to inquire about um, becoming a member of the Jamaat. It's something that's there, available for them in book form. It's on the videos and it's on the um, teaching material that's available online. That wasn't the case 50 years ago. And so, as the facilities have grown, so has my understanding of what the Bayat means. And, of course, the lovely idea of taking Bayat being you sell yourself to the Jamaat is a wonderful idea. If you really believe it and you love God and you love the Jamaat, then the idea of selling yourself to the Jamaat is a a lovely idea. Mm. Kutsia, <clears throat> sorry, um, how have you changed, would you say, after accepting Islam, Ahmed? I mean, I mean, you know, like you, I mean, you said that we've, um, the community's grown, it's developed since after the coming of the Caliph. Um, but how you have a person, how was it, do you think it was tied with the coming of the Caliph that you had really begun, began to really develop uh, and, and grow as a Muslim? Well, I think that growth was from the beginning because it comes with the prayers. It comes with the prayers. It comes with the reading of the Holy Quran. It comes with meeting and mixing with members of the Jamaat. And, of course, that went on even from the early days. And um, I was fortunate enough to travel um, to the Middle East, so I was able to to go for Umrah and visit the places which are associated with the Holy Prophet. Peace and blessings be upon him. And... So my growth in Islam was continuous from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But the understanding of the bayat certainly took leaps and bounds when when Hazor came to the UK and the international bayat ceremony took place. Um, So that was an understanding of what exactly bayat meant. Um, But the growth in the knowledge of Islam was from the beginning. And it made me more confident in the decisions I have taken and more confident in the teachings and the um, knowledge that Islam gives you. So as a person, you become much more confident. 
that you feel you understand your purpose more and and how to achieve that purpose. What what uh, what would you what would you say for our listeners um, who are because we do know we have listeners who are who only listening to our show because of the the angle about Islam that they they may not have heard about mm-hmm. and haven't heard about uh, before um, and it's different to the, the the Islam that they see on the TVs and on on the internet. So, what would you say to those who are intrigued about Islam but don't know what to do and um, don't know whether they should take that leap of faith? Really. I think that you need to read the books of the Promised Messiah or listen to people discussing the books of the Promised Messiah and answering questions based on those books. And there's plenty of that material available online through the Jamaat website nowadays. Um, But the basic, the top and bottom of it is you have to ask God. God has created each and every one of us. And if you have any questions, any doubts that you can't get answered through the books or from the people that you meet and talk to, then God is the person to go to. And it doesn't matter which religion you follow, whether you're a Christian or or, or of any other faith, they all teach that God will answer your questions, God will satisfy your um, prayers. And I think that that is very, very true. And if you sincerely and open-mindedly turn to God and say, you are my creator, you are my guardian and my guide, please guide me in this matter, then I'm sure, very sure, that he will give guidance in one form or another. And so many people have had this experience. You get so many stories of people having dreams or visions or all sorts of experiences that feel make them feel they've had a response to mm-hmm. their prayer. And that's the proof that God exists, of course. If he doesn't answer the prayers, then people will question whether he exists. Mm, mm. So, of course, he does answer prayers. Mm, and guide you to the correct path. Well, Kutsia, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much for giving me the chance. Thank you. Have Thank a good you. day. Salaam Welcome, Salaam. 0208-687-7878 or uh, tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, yeah, please, you know, join us, uh, listeners. If you've actually taken bat recently or previously, you know, talk to us, uh, call us and let us know what your personal experiences are. But going back to, uh, I suppose, a subcategory of the third condition of bat of Salat is Tajad. The third condition also stipulates that one should offer Tajad prayer Muslims are encouraged to acquire a habit of early to bed and early to rise. Now, the day begins routinely in the small hours before dawn. And this prayer, which is performed at the end of the night, is called your Tajad prayer. Now, worship in the Holy Quran is only prescribed for the sake of the worshipper himself. Remembrance of God and pondering over his many attributes uh, during the prayer helps man in refining his spirit bringing it to more uh, harmony, into harmony with the nature of God. Now, this is central to the Islamic prayer. Man was made in the image of his creator, and he must ever strive to gain closeness to him. This is a lesson in nobility which is ultimate. Uh, Those who train themselves to think like God and to act like him within the limitations of the human sphere constantly improve their relation 
to all other human beings and even other forms of life. Now, the, in the narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, uh, the first thing for a person would be uh, called to account is the prayer. If he succeeds in this account, he would be successful and will attain salvation. If that account is deficient, he will be ruined and will be a loser. If there is a shortfall in the obligatory prayers, Allah will make up for it uh, from his nawafal. Similarly, all his other need, other deeds will be accounted for. Now, sorry. Yeah, I mean, no. we can see again how how much uh, emphasis has been placed on um, on on these. Uh, on these voluntary prayers mm-hmm. um, and it's you going out of your way praying to God Almighty particularly in the early early hours of the morning before pre-dawn mm-hmm. these, these pre-dawn prayers um, and uh, it, it is about really opening up to God Almighty because we know from <clears throat> many narrations really that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings will be upon him has stated that in this time bef- uh, in pre-dawn God Almighty comes down uh, in the sense that he comes closer to an individual. He's closer to you. Um, and uh, if he, I mean, there's narrations where he's asking, is there anyone who is calling out for me that can answer him? Is there anyone who's asking for me so I can answer him? Is there anyone who is seeking my forgiveness so I can forgive him? And this is uh, every night uh, God Almighty comes down from the heavens. Um, and not in the sense, that physical sense, but mm. it's that closeness mm-hmm. where, because... You're 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 praying to God Almighty. You'll be praying in your house, in your in or in the mosque, wherever. But it's that relationship you have with God in your heart, mm-hmm. and that closeness that you'll feel with God in your heart, and and that closeness you'll feel much more um, clearly in that time of the morning when mm-hmm. when God is nearer. Really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, to further, I suppose, yeah, explain this, yeah. Um, we're going to go on to... Well, actually, we're just going to go straight on to the fourth condition of bad. And we talk about anger, right? So uh, the fourth condition actually states that uh, that under the impulse of any passion, he or she shall cause no harm whatsoever to the creatures of God in general and Muslims in particular, neither by his, her tongue, hands, nor of any other means. Now... You know, we we all pretty much know what anger is. We've all felt it in some way, shape, or form. That you know, anger is natural, uh, though sometimes unwanted or irrational emotion that everybody experiences from time to time. But when it gets out of control, it can become destructive, uh, and hence leading to very, very serious problems. You know, it can undermine a, a person's quality of life. Anger, uh, however, is not just a state of mind. Anger can trigger physical changes, including increased heart rate, blood pressure, uh, your levels of hormones such as uh, adrenaline, uh, preparing us physically to fight or flight. And now, uh, due to these physical effects, long-term anger can be detrimental to health and well-being. Now, once a companion of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, humbly asked the Holy Prophet, to give him simple but unforgettable advice advice in a few words. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, advised, do not become angry. The man repeated his request several times and each time the Holy Prophet told him, do not become angry. When you keep in your mind that you should shun anger, 
then malice and spite will also go away automatically. Mm. Now, the, if you're talking about the effects of anger, I mean, we, we've spoken about it briefly that uh, um, it can trigger physical changes, including an increased heart rate, blood pressure, levels of hormones. Um, but I mean, when we're angry, these hormones that are released, um, adrenaline and cortisol, the, the, it's the same hormones which are released when we encounter stress. And as a result of these the, these releases in hormone, our blood pressure, our pulse, our body temperature and breathing rate may increase, sometimes to potentially dangerous levels. And this natural chemical reaction is designed to give us an instant boost of energy and power and is often referred to as the fight or flight reaction. This means that the body and mind prepare for a fight or for running away from danger. However, people who get angry often cannot manage their anger effectively and can become ill. Just as stress that is left unresolved may, may make you ill, our bodies are not designed to withstand high levels of adrenaline and cortisol over long periods or on a very regular basis. Mm. And some of the, I mean, it may not occur to you that, oh, you know, just being angry uh, will actually have a detrimental effect to your health. But, you know, there are some serious health problems that may occur as a result of just continually being angry. Um, these can be you know, a whole list of them, you know, aches and pains, uh, you know, in your head or in your back, high blood pressure, you know, obviously, which can can lead to um, you know, serious complaints such as uh, stroke or cardiac arrest, even uh, sleep problems, problems with digestion, impaired immune system. Anger can also lead to psychological problems such as depression, reduced self-confidence, eating disorders, self-injury even. And, you know, it should be clear Therefore, the anger can be detrimental to you know your the physical uh, your physical being your health, and if anger becomes a problem, then it should then be managed. Mm. And uh, I mean the, the the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the Promised Messiah, states that with respect to meekness and humility, he, he said that seek forgiveness of God before the punishment of God comes to close the door of forgiveness. Repent from everything that would incur the wrath of God. Repentance means giving up all evil deeds and everything that goes against the pleasure of God and undergoing a true change and making progress and adopting the ways of righteousness. In this too lies the mercy of God. Mm. And with that, we've got our final guest of this uh, of this show today. Uh, we're joined by uh, Asma Rana. Now, Asma is uh, from the UK and found out about Ahmadiyyat when she was studying abroad in Georgia. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you, uh, Asma. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show today. Asalaamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. My name is Asma Rana and I'm the wife of Muhammad Atarana. I'm from the UK um, and I'm a full-time medical student um, and I accepted Ahmadiyyat in my heart um, in November 2020, but I officially took my bath um, at the hand of Murabi Sahil Munisa last year in 11th of May 2021. And I found out about Ahmediyat when I was studying abroad in Georgia. Mm, okay, so that's pretty succinct. Uh, I mean, yeah, would you tell us about your actual journey into Islam? Uh, you know, what made you actually uh, finally take bat? Okay, so I'm... Um, I was a born Muslim, so I was a Sunni Muslim before I accepted Ahmadiyya. Mm-hmm. So I lived in in the UK all my life, 
and I never I never come across Ahmadiyya before ever. Okay. Um, so I moved to Georgia to study um, in 2020, and this is where I came. I uh, first came across um, about Islamic Ahmadiyya. This was my first ever encounter, actually, or first time I heard the word Ahmadiyya. So it's when I was sat with a group of friends, and this is happening in 2020 in March. That's as I moved to Georgia, and I was sat with a group of friends that were talking about religion. Um, and two of my Pakistani friends and they talk. They were talking about the persecution of Ahmadi Muslims, and um, I, they were just saying that how the Ahmadis, like you know, they're gonna get persecuted if they if they declare themselves that they're Ahmadi. And this is the first time I've actually heard the word Ahmadi. And I said to my friends, I never questioned them who they, where they come from, what they believe in. I remember just saying to my friends. That's that's really bizarre and that that's really shameful. And if our Prophet was alive today, he would be really, really ashamed of us. Mm-hmm. The fact that people gain persecuted just because they believe in they have a certain faith or they believe in certain things. That's not the teaching of Islam. And that, remember that was that was literally all I just said to them. And then a few about a month um I would say about during Ramadan, actually, 2020, um, so we, the university that I was attending, you have some current students who help new students that who come to uni. They will show them around. If you had any any concerns, any worries, anything that you need, the current students will help you. Um, they will show you around anything, anything, anything that you need help with. So there, 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 uh, there was one individual who I um, contacted on a regular basis with my university queries, anything that I needed with, anything that I needed help with. And I found that every time um, it would it would be an evening matter, but every time we'd talk, it'd be, it, we'd start talking about, discussing about Islam. And then one day the individual said to me, what's your thoughts of these on the death of Isa, mm-hmm. And I just said to him, death? I, I still believe that he's alive. He's still alive, and he's he's still alive, and he's going to come down. And this this is what we like. We I believe as a Muslim, then you should believe that too. And then we started talking, and then the individual said, well, "Do you really believe that Isa is actually going to come down in your horse? Um, you know the fairy tale that Noon Ahmed is believing." And I said, "Yes, I do believe in that." And then the individual said to me gave me few ayah from the Quran and said to me, okay, so as a, when I was in Nana Ahmadi, the character of Ahmadi, even I knew that Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam um, said that there is someone going to come down, Imam Mahdi or Promised Messiah, it's going to be someone amongst us. Even I knew that as mm-hmm. Imam Ahmadi, but I chose to, because the family that I grew up in, we believe that Israel is going to come down, even though everyone, all known Ahmadis in this world, they know the Prophet Muhammad a narrator that someone's going to be from amongst us. Us, yeah. Uh, from amongst us. So why is it going to be someone like from? Why is it going to be Isa Alayhi Salam? Why is it going to come? Why is it going to come down from heaven? So this person gave me a uh, lot of like, hadith, and even he actually showed um, the verses or the meaning of certain verses from from my own community people that who do that work. And when I read it, and I was like, so for example, for example, Surah Al-Maida, Surah Al-Imran, where it says, um, all the messenger have passed away before. Um, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi is only a messenger. Verily, all messengers have passed away before him. Mm-hmm. 
and I, I started thinking, I was like, yes, it, it's true. It's true because if Isa salam was alive, it would have said, except Isa salam. Uh, mm. But he doesn't say that except Isa salam. He says that every prophet that passed away, every prophet that came before Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And I just started thinking, I was like, I was like, what I, my belief, I started questioning in myself, I was like, am I believing the right thing? Am I believing? Because I know in my heart, even I knew before that, Isa was supposed to come a long time ago, but he hasn't come. But then but we... Can, can I interject, Asma? Did that shake you then, to the core? Yes, it did. It, it shook me so much. I couldn't. I just couldn't leave it alone. I mm-hmm. remember the whole Ramadan. I was. It was twenty two during Ramadan. This happened. I remember like I was staying awake until like five six o'clock in the morning, looking, looking through the Quran, looking through the verses, the Hadith, and I was like, I was, I was comparing. I was comparing to the certain individual who was sending me all the verses. I was actually looking into it, and then I was comparing with all these other sources as well. But the fact, I didn't know this person was this individual was Ahmadi, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, and then I was started reading. I just couldn't leave it alone. Honestly, I just couldn't. I was like, I needed to know more about it. I was like, so, um, I just, I just wanted to know more about. It. I was like, I just wanted to know if I was believing in the right thing. And I was, I was quite shook actually to find out the, um, all the professor passed away with Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And I was like, what did I believe in all my life? What is it? So it's actually a fairy tale that Isa is going to come and mm. you know resurrect or and then there is another from Surah Maida there's another message where I read I said nothing to them except that which thou didst command me worship Allah my Lord and your Lord that was what Isa said so I just worship your um, worship Allah who is my Lord and your Lord and he said and I was a witness over them as long as I remained among them Right, and when I was reading this as well, and the meaning of it, I was like, I was just really taken back, and I was like, it shook me to call, and I just wanted to find out more about him. And I asked a certain individual, I said, I, I want to know more about it. Please, can you help me to mm-hmm. provide more information? This person provided everything. Said there is a website called Al Islam. Go on this, and I had until this, I had no idea it was, it was an Ahmadi, you know, Ahmadi Islam, mm-hmm. Ahmadi website. So I went on it, and I remember that I asked the person, is there any book that I can read? So the person sent me Jesus in India, the book. Mm-hmm. And I read, Jesus I, in I, India, yeah. So I read the book Jesus in India. I read it, and I was like, I actually, before even I read the book, you know, when I was going through the Quran and the Hadith and everything, I kind of believed it in my heart. I, I was doing, this person said to me, yes, you're reading this book and everything, but you need to pray and make the watch Allah and only Allah can guide you to the right path. And I started making like loads of du'as and when I was reading all the hadith and Quran, I, in my heart, I haven't said to anyone because I actually didn't know this individual was Ahmadi. Like if I told this person, it might sound crazy. In my heart, I kind of believed that, oh, probably Islam is not going to actually come. It's mm-hmm. something that it's something that why am I believing this? So so sorry, Asma, did you think that you know, if you were to tell this you know, individual which subsequently turned out to be an Amdi Muslim, right? Uh-huh. That actually, you know, I don't believe that uh Isa is gonna come again. That yes. that would all, almost be blasphemous. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's what I thought. I'm gonna sound crazy if I say that because yeah. uh, because obviously I don't know anything about uh, Islamic Ahmadiyya. So I knew that all I 
to me, like all Ahmadis, whether Sunnis or Shias, they all believe that Isa is going to come. We all believe that. And to not to believe that, it's like, you know, how dare you don't believe in Isa is going to come down. And then I started reading the book, um, Jesus in India. I read the book and I, I, honestly, like, I was lost for word. I was lost for word. So Jesus in India, when I read it, that Isa is actually passed away. Mm-hmm. He actually passed away, and it's true. Like, what if someone, even when Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he um, had in his dream when he saw Isa Alaihissalam in heaven, he saw him in heaven, and he described like how he saw Isa and Musa and other prophets in heaven, and and he was like, if you if you're in heaven, then you don't come out of the heaven. And the fact that um, you know how Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is, the people believe that he's the last messenger. Mm-hmm. He's he, he, he's not the last messenger. He is the best. He is the best of all, is a mm-hmm. of the law-bearing prophet. And then I've learned all this because I just couldn't live it for months. I was doing research. I read that book. And I said, I want to read more about it. Can you send me more books? Mm-hmm. This person sent me uh, The Philosophy and Teaching of Islam, that book. And then I read that book. And I read it and, and I was like, this book is amazing. Sorry, when I was reading Jesus in India, Usually when I, I love reading books, and you know, when I read books, usually I say who the author is, who, mm-hmm. who wrote it, and I like look into the background. And this time I straight went into it. And then at, at the mid, I think I was halfway through reading the book, and I said, oh, let me see who the author is. And all I saw something, Ahmadiyya, and I said to the person, isn't Ahmadiyya something that they believe in, like something? And then this person said to me, like, no, don't worry about it, just read the book. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, I was so close to going into Google and looking into who this person was. <laughs> I, and mm-hmm. I, you know, honestly, and I'm so glad and, uh, you know, alhamdulillah to Allah, I didn't. Because I know if I did, I probably would have got really like... I would have Yeah, because I think it's your preconceptions of what Ahmadiyat is from, exactly. you know, your your previous background, right? It's like, effectively, yeah. what you were doing was doing a, like a blind tasting. That's it. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then this is, and I was like, and I'm so glad I didn't do that because if I know that, because I know on whether you go on YouTube or online, if you're not on the right website or right resource, looking at the right resources, there's a lot of negative things out there. But mm-hmm. sorry, and so I was like, I'm so glad I didn't know this. And then I read the book, and then I read the Constitution um, of Islam, and I was like, oh my god, this book is uh, something that I've never. And Alhamdulillah, I love reading books. I love listening to Islamic lectures and everything. I've never ever in my life come across something like that. It's so perfect, so perfect. And it almost made me so emotional, so emotional. I said to this person, this book is amazing. It's everything that the old Muslim, everyone needs to read this book and they need to know what's written in this book. So Asma, right? Can I just interject here? So, so you you took Bat, yeah. So subsequently, mm-hmm. how has taking Bat and coming into the fold of the community, the Ahmadiyya community, mm-hmm. how has that mm-hmm. changed your life? So the first time I took Bat, we said last year, mm-hmm. it was last year, and one of in one of my dream actually occurred where I was actually taking bath in Hazur hand. That was mm-hmm. one of my dreams before I actually accepted Ahmadiyat. And it was very surreal. I remember I writing letters to Hazur and I said, Hazur, I had a dream today. Because at that point, even though I hadn't accepted it yet, I was writing letters to Hazur. Because this individual told to me, write letter to 
this person to do and then see how your life changes. And I started, and then bef- then I knew a lot about Ahmed yet. I knew because I started watching MTA. There's nothing that I haven't watched in MTA. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that you have in MTA, I've watched like all the Joseph Salana, everything, all the conversion story, everything. I've watched everything. And I started writing to Huzur. And I was telling Huzur my journey. I was telling Huzur all the dreams that was occurring. And I said, Huzur, I just had a dream like where I was holding your hand. And now I just took my bath in your hand. Sorry, it's very emotional. And then Huzur, I wrote a letter to Huzur and said, please Huzur, can you accept my, accept my bath? Because I just had a dream about why I was taking bath in your hand. And the Huzur wrote a letter back to me. And then there was a few of them were beside me. They wrote a letter to Huzur who knew me when I was living in Georgia. Because I went to Mission House, first time I went to Mission House, met the Murphys, and then they started to, they know me, and they wrote letters to Huzur, and then they sort of helped me as well, and then Huzur accepted my bath. And it just happened, like, it just happened within, like, just a couple of months, just like that, Huzur actually accepted, accepted my bath, he wrote letter. It was Huzur himself that wrote letter, mm-hmm. and accepted my bath, he did, and it was just so emotional, alhamdulillah, and it just changed my life mm-hmm. ever since. I mean, uh, yeah. Asma, you know, we're, I think we're both myself and uh, Taha are just uh, humbled uh, by your experience, actually. And we can feel, you know, just the emotion. Uh, it's just kind of coming across to us, you know, uh, in your voice regarding that. And, you know, uh, hopefully that actually uh, all that are listening to this, the listeners out there can feel that emotion and the, the, the positive change that uh, taking bat at the hand of the Khalifa can give one person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think in my, in my dream is something that I have, it was so surreal. Mm-hmm. I was actually holding his little hand and as far as I can look, I can just, I was seeing that there's so many people, thousands, thousands of people, thousands, as, I was looking everywhere to see. Like, I was imagining, I was just thinking, where did all these people come from? And I was holding his little hand, and I could just hear like people crying. Mm. And I'm taking bath to his, and I remember at the end of my um, uh, end of the bath, I asked his please, his can you read Lady My Nikah as well? I said to him, <laughs> and that at that time, that was just that it was just I was still learning about Ahmed yet, and that's that's why I asked his and his just nodded. Mm. Mm. Asma, truly inspirational. Thank you very much for sharing all that with us, yeah, and joining us this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Jazakallah for yeah. having me. Thank you very much. Mm. Yeah, very emotional stuff there. Um, I mean, we've only got three minutes, and we're, we're, we've still got the fifth condition of bad. Yeah, we? I think we should um, jump to that. Yeah. Um, and it, the, the fifth condition talks about trials. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the actual fifth condition is that uh, that he would bear every hardship for the sake of God. Um, and uh, in the Holy Quran, God Almighty states that we will try you with something of fear and hunger and loss of wealth and lives and fruits. But give glad tidings to the patient who, when a misfortune overtakes them, say, surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. 
Now, sufferings and trials can take all forms and, and shapes, and from, from you know from natural disasters, dealing mm-hmm. with loss of a loved one, to dealing with depression, or being fired from a job. Um, this is all, I mean, the trials and, and a part of of life. Um, and the the founder of the Amdi Muslim community has has elucidated on the subject, and he states that tribulations should not be considered bad. One who considers trials as bad is not a true believer. God Almighty states, and we will try you with something of fear and hunger and loss of wealth and lives and fruits, but give glad tidings to the patient. Who, when a misfortune overtakes them, say, Surely to Allah we belong, and to him shall we return. When such difficulties descend on prophets of God, they bring them glad tidings of blessings. And when the same difficulties descend on the wicked, they ruin them. At times of trouble one should read, say, Surely to Allah we belong, and to him shall we return, and to seek the pleasure of God Almighty at a time of trial, a time of trouble. Life of a true believer has two parts. When a believer does something good, he is rewarded for it, but the reward of patience is immeasurable and boundless. God Almighty states, these are the patient and these are the people who have understood God. God divides the lives of those who understand the purpose of patience in two parts. And this is quite a long extract, but briefly, uh, it's about those who, when they pray, uh, God Almighty accepts their prayer and those uh, who when they go through difficulties and trials they they remain patient and with that patience they are able to then grow as human beings and God Almighty rewards them according to their patience and then you understand really what the purpose of life is is to worship God mm-hmm. in all forms in happiness and in sickness in, in felicity and in trials mm-hmm. um, and this is just very briefly the fifth condition mm-hmm. of Bayat and one uh, part of that is also suffering, and that is all part and parcel of human life, really. Yeah. But with that, we come to the end of the show. Uh, a big thanks to our producers, Amtul, or our producer Amtul Nur and also to our uh, technician uh, on call today, uh, Zishan, my fellow co-host Imam Tahir Halid, uh, and hopefully he'll be here for many more Mondays. And myself, Talib Man. Here's the six o'clock news.